lesson this morning does come from 1 Timothy chapter 4. My voice did not sound this way until I got here this morning. I really don't know why. <clears throat> My body is being cranky lately. So, it is what it is. But 1 Timothy chapter 4, we've been doing a series of lessons, but we've had a break due to Bible camp and then due <laughs> to sickness. But our lesson this morning comes to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and our focus is going to be looking, as we'll see from our scripture reading, uh, 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, which we'll read now together. Here the Bible says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Have you ever been given a warning by someone? I've gone sometimes to look at different things I was going to maybe buy, whether it be used or something, and I've had different warnings. I'll read reviews sometimes online about various products and sometimes I think, boy, I'm glad I read that review because it is indeed a warning. Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we do find, as we begin this chapter, a warning from the Apostle Paul. And so I want to show the importance of the warnings we can find, uh, the importance and the lessons we can learn from the warnings of Paul that he makes here in chapter 4. This is immediately following chapter 3, where Paul gives a prediction of deadly departures from the truth. Now, we understand that chapter headings and verses and things like that, those numbers have been added by men. And so really, chapter 3 and chapter 4, especially the first part of chapter 4, there's not a whole lot of difference as we get into chapter 4. Chapter 3 really just moves right into, he's, a war, he's giving warnings about departure from the truth in chapter 3, and in chapter 4, he really continues with that warning. You may have heard this phrase, I haven't heard it before until I read it, but it says, to be, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. That did meaning if you are warned ahead of time, and you can be on guard against what it is you've been warned about. Warnings arm us for what is to come. And we can learn much from the warnings given by Paul and the encouragement for Timothy to be an example. We look at First Timothy chapter four, beginning here in verse one, we find a predicted departure, and we find the character first of those who who depart. So he begins first by talking about the character of those individuals who are teaching those doctrines that are not a part of the Word of God, those things which are in direct contradiction to God's Word. We want to first notice in verse one, he says, "Now the Spirit expressly says." In letter time, some will depart from the faith. Now, this is the Spirit speaking to Paul. It's interesting, he says, the Spirit expressly says, which means it wasn't a hunch, it wasn't a feeling, it wasn't a, I feel like the Lord lays on my heart type of thing. It was the Lord, the Spirit had expressly said to Paul these things. 
Paul was an inspired apostle, and when the Spirit spoke, it did so with clarity and not in a form which would cause confusion. Paul's teachers, as we look here in verses 1 and 2, we're going to notice that they do not announce themselves. He says in verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. That is the time of the church and moving forward, there will be those who are going to depart from the faith. And really, if you look at history, history, you're going to find that it wasn't too long after Acts chapter 2 that you begin to find departures from the faith, don't you? Even in the Bible, we find that when Paul wrote to those in Corinth, that he was encouraging them to remain faithful to God. And the reason for that was because there were others who were not. <clears throat> and so he was warning them. He says, He will depart from the faith, <clears throat> giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. This simply meaning here the idea that they're being deceived by false teaching, deceiving spirits be in doctrines of demons are just those who are against the truth, those who are not excuse <clears throat> me, preaching or teaching the truth. Thus they're deceiving spirits and they are teaching doctrines of demons. He says in verse two that he says they speak lies and hypocrisy. They have no feelings in regard to their conscience. Their conscience has been seared, as we find in verse 2, he says, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Have you ever seen an animal that has been, or if you ever seen an animal actually get branded, I've never seen it except on television, and the animal always moves when they hit him with that iron, don't they? It's red hot. And it leaves that mark on there. And that skin where that branding iron has hit, where those letters are, it's just dead. There's no more feeling left. And that's how he describes these individuals. They have no more feeling. False teaching doesn't phase them. It doesn't bother their feelings. It doesn't hurt their heart. Therefore, he says in verse 2, having their own conscience seared, with a hot iron. They have no feelings left when it comes to the truth. They have no problem teaching that which is false. We have also, in looking at verses 3 through 5, some examples of similar departures. And it's interesting some of the things they pick because we still see some today who have these same problems, don't we? Looking at verse 3, forbidding to marry. Has that ever caused a problem anywhere? That's a sarcastic question. We know it has. Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. You catch that? That's almost a subtle little jab there in verse, verse 3, isn't it? By those who believe and know the truth, meaning what? There is no food that is forbidden. You remember in the book of Acts when Peter has a vision that comes down from heaven a few times, the sheep and the animals were there. And he tells Peter, rise and eat. And he says, no, Lord, I've, you know, I've never touched those things. And it happens three times. And finally, at the end, the Lord tells him, you shall not call unclean what God has, what God has called clean, right? Which means there's no more of this unclean, unclean, or clean or unclean animal. But yet we find here, there are those who are still saying to abstain from certain things. But he says in verse 4, for every creature of God is good. That means there's nothing that should be abstained from. And nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving, for it's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. The food is received with thanksgiving as blessings 
from God. These are just very few examples of condemning and false teaching. We know there's a whole lot more out there today, isn't there? We have friends today around us perhaps who certain times a year they don't you know, they only eat fish on Friday or they only eat certain foods on certain days or they abstain, they give up certain things for Lent. Aren't you always supposed to be giving up things for God anyway? Isn't that a lifetime choice? Not a once a year type of thing? Well, let's continue on here because this is his warning in verses 1 through 5. But then in verses 6 and following, he moves into talking about, and I think this still is a bit of a warning because he does talk about the importance of being a good minister, servant, and example in verses 6 through 16 as he's talking to Timothy. Now, Timothy, as we know, one of the verses we're going to get to here in a moment, we've all probably heard many times before, right? But no one, what? Basically, look at you as young and look down upon you because you're young, which is interesting because Timothy, as we're going to talk about a little bit later, actually wasn't that young. Look with me at verse 6. We find as an evangelist, Timothy was to bring things to, a, to remembrance. Looking at verse 6, Bible says, Even if you instruct the brethren, here speaking to Timothy, and us, this still applies to us today, doesn't it? If you instruct the brethren in these things, now what do you just do? We know in verses 1 through 5, he warned them not to what? Listen to those false teachers who have no feelings about right and wrong anymore, who are putting down things you are to forbid and things you are not to, to you know, abstain from this and this and those things which are what? Are not sinful. He says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, he says, you will be a good minister or servant of Jesus Christ. Nursed in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. The word for minister here does mean servant. That's why I put minister and servant because that's what it means. He is a servant. We are to bring the truth to remembrance by repeating the truth when necessary. And he says to bring to remembrance. And here he says, New King James says, if you instruct the brethren, the King James says, if you bring to remembrance these things. We want to. We never want to get to to a point where we say, "Well, I've forgotten about this," or "I've forgotten about that." We want to always try to remember things and learn and teach and, and or learn and continue to grow, so those things do not slip our minds as often as as they maybe they once have. We find in verse seven that a good servant knows what to feed upon and what to avoid. He says, "They reject profane and old wise fables." So there's what you are to avoid, right? Reject those profane and old wise fables. Those things are things which are not truth, right? Would you consider forbidding a Mary being an old wise tale, being a fable, a falsehood, a myth? Yes. Ascending from certain foods? Yes. How many of you growing up have heard different things about the Bible that as you got a little bit older you realized that's really not the truth? Think about that for a moment. We are, many are convinced, for instance, on the day of Christ's birth, when the wise men came to him, many are convinced they were just three wise men. You know, the Bible never actually says three wise men. It just says the wise men. Could have been two, could have been twelve. But we are convinced because there's three gifts, there must have been three wise men. See, those things passed down. 
and we begin to think that has to be what it has that has to be what it is. That's a bit of a trivial thing, but sometimes things that are passed down aren't so trivial. One saved, always saved, isn't a trivial thing, but it's a wise it's an old wise fable and a profane one that hasn't been passed down through the centuries, hasn't it? One we still deal with today. So he is to reject those things, but yet he says in verse seven, and exercise yourself toward godliness. We are to work to become more godly. Well, how do we do that? We get our noses back in the Word of God. We spend more time reading and studying. And this may sound weird from a person who does podcasts, but sometimes we need to put down our phones, don't we? We need to get away from those things that are going to pull us away from God. I encourage you sometimes to get on your phones and see how much time you have a part there you can see where how much time you spend on certain apps and see how much time you spend on certain things you may find yourself at the end of the week pretty disappointed let's make sure we are exercising ourselves toward godliness looking at verse 8 he says your bodily exercise profits a little but godliness is profitable for all things having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come Godliness has what? It has a lasting promise. An eternal, lasting promise. So we are to exercise ourselves towards a godliness as this tunes the soul and prepares one for death, judgment, and eternity. Look with me at verse 9. This is a faithful saying, he says, and worthy of all acceptance. What is that faithful saying we just said back in those previous verses? To exercise yourself towards godliness because it has promise. You ever try to do something you think, well, this seems like this might work out in the end. It has promise of being worthwhile. I'm going to start doing this endeavor and you get into a little bit and you say, you know what, this isn't worth my time after all. Is that the case with us and God? It shouldn't be. It should be. We need to find a whole lot more time for this. We need to find a whole lot more time. Look with me at verse 10 and 11. As we continue looking at being an example here, verses 10 and 11 says, "For, For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach because judgment day is coming we are willing to work and to suffer reproach or hardship or mockings because we know and understand that the judgment day is coming it's not a if it's a when look at verse 10 again he says for to this end means for this reason we both labor and suffer he says suffer reproach which just means hardship if you have to suffer for something it better be worth it right but we have to endure hard labor working and learning from God's word each and every day is it going to be worth it in the end he says in verse 10 because we trust in the living God Paul says it will be worth it in the end because he trusts in God that what's going to come as a result of these things, blessings. He says, who is the Savior of all men, especially 
of those who believe. These things command and teach. And no doubt what wonderful things for us to command and to teach others as well. To exercise ourselves towards godliness. To pursue godliness. To reject those old wise fables. Those old, those old vain and, and profane ideas and then passed down over the years. And we open up our Bibles. You want to defeat false doctrine, open up your Bible. You'll win every time. Because false doctrine many times is, is either is your placed in complete ignorance or is placed in feelings. And the Bible will trump each and every one of those things. Now let's look at verse 12. We look at being an example. When Paul wrote Timothy, here in verse 12, many believe Timothy had, to have been laboring with Paul between 12 and 15 years. If this is correct, and Timothy was born around 30 A.D., which many believe is the case, he would have been about 35 years old, if those numbers are correct, give or take some. Approximately 35 years old. That means he was a couple of years younger than me. And you look there in verse 12, look what he says. And no one despise your youth. Well, he's not even now in their time period, he might have been a youth. For us today, we say someone under 18, well, they're just young. We might say someone under 25 is just young. But here, they say that no one despise your youth. And Timothy is he's older than 18. He's older than 21. He's in his mid-30s. And Paul is telling him that no one despise you. Don't let them be a discouragement. He says, but be an example. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Boy, does that sound easy? Those things he mentions there in verse 12, just one verse. He mentions so many things. He tells Paul, or Timothy tells him to be an example in these areas. He says here in verse 12, he was to be an example to the believers. He was to be, to be an example in his disposition, in his faith, his integrity, his dependability, and his trustworthiness. You find there in verse 12, he says in conduct, excuse me, rather he says in words, and he says in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Those are not things that are easy but all things that will, will no doubt, if he's an example in all those areas, will he be an encouragement to everyone around him? Absolutely. If he holds true to God's Word, is he an example to others? Yes. If he holds true to godly conduct, is he an example to others? Yes. If he holds true to godly love and loves the brethren and loves the souls of lost men, will he be an example to others? Yes. If he keeps the right spirit about himself, will he be an example to others? Yes. If he keeps the faith, defends the faith, and loves the faith, will he be an example to others? Yes. If he remains pure before God, that is, not being faultless, but being one who, if he was to sin, would take care of it, right? Purity. Those are things where if he excelled in those areas, he would be a great example to everyone. Looking at verse 13. Timothy was to be an encouragement in three other areas as well. In verse 13, he says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. 
Isn't it interesting, the very first thing he says is reading. Now this can be a reference to public and, or private readings of Scripture. It could be a reference to others seeing Timothy, not on purpose, he wasn't making a display about it, seeing him being a man who kept his nose in the Word of God. Because after all, as we saw earlier for chapter 4, he's already warned about false teaching. He also gives attention to exhortation. Some believe this to be a reference to preaching, but he had either generally exhortation simply means to build up. And no doubt he could do that by his preaching, by his teaching. And then he says to doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. Well, what kind of doctrine is he going to teach? Well, according to verse 12, he's going to be an example. It's going to be pure doctrine, right? In word, in spirit, in faith, all those things. Timothy was to take heed to himself and to the doctrines. Look at verse 14. He says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy of the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Now, Timothy received a gift by the laying on of hands, but we know from 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, where Paul here says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So this is a reminder that it was Paul who passed on the gift of the Holy Spirit. It would have seen in verse 14 that the elders put their hands on him, but it was Paul who passed on the gift of the Holy Spirit because only apostles could do such. And so we find in verse 14 also, he says he has a gift that has been given to him, right? The gift was, was given him through laying on of the hands of the apostles. We do not know exactly what that gift was, but it was one given to him, the one that we are reminded of here in verse 14 and also in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, that Paul reminds him on two occasions not to neglect that gift. We also find the doctrine he was to be teaching uh, to others. We're looking at verses 15 and 16. He says, Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that you may progress, that your, me, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And so what we find here, he tells him, to keep teaching and preaching the Word of God. He was to continue on in these things. The doctrine was a teaching he did to others. He was to continue on in both. By doing these things, he would, those who heard him, he would save those who heard him, and he would also save himself. We find there in verse 16. Now some lessons for us to think about today. Timothy was warned, wasn't he? He was warned in chapter 3. He was warned in chapter 4. He talks about damnable doctrine. Damnable doctrine condemns, but pure, sound doctrine saves. That's when he tells us there in verse 8, to exercise yourself toward godliness, which, has, which uh, having promised the life that now is and of that which is to come, put your faith and put your work and put your labor in pursuing pure, undefiled Doctrine and be on guard against that which is the opposite. We today should be on guard against falsehoods, just as Timothy was encouraged to be on guard as well, because the only doctrine that saves is the undefiled doctrine of the Word of God. 
False teaching will never save mankind. Secondly, we can learn from the charge given to Timothy. We too should be an example to others. It is by our example in the faith before others that we often open a doorway to evangelism. He says here in 1 Timothy 4, verse 15, Meditate on these things, keep yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. How can we win others with the gospel? It's probably not going to work too well if we just walk right up to someone and open up our Bibles and start talking to them and start trying to have a Bible study just point blank. But we can be an example to them first. Find the window and jump right in it, can't we? That's what Timothy is encouraged to do as well. So let us be those who will stand for truth and one who also opposes damnable doctrine. Years ago, when I was at the lectureship, I don't remember what the theme was, Brother Richard Massey was doing a lesson. He said, it's not enough to stand to preach the truth, you also have to stand against false teaching. And I think he's exactly, exactly right. You can teach the truth, but it takes courage to stand up against false teaching. We must be those who do both. We can be like Timothy by loving truth and striving to be an example to others. And so today I encourage us to do that very thing, to be like Timothy, to listen to the warning that Paul gave him, because it still applies to us today, to use the tools we have before us, which we have in the Word of God, to continue in the Word of God, to defend the truth, to love the truth, and to continue to teach the truth. This morning, we can help you or assist you in any way. You can come forward now. Okay, we stand and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>